Welcome to The Bag Drop, untold stories in golf. I'm your co-host, Matt Considine. The other co-host, Kevin Moore, the professor. How are you, Kevin? Uh, you know, it's summertime um, in the academic lifestyle, and I'm all out of sorts. The schedule's thrown off. There's really no schedule. Meetings here or there, but I don't know if it's Friday, Tuesday, whatever. I think it was last night, and they're like, are we recording tomorrow? It's like, well, duh, it's Friday tomorrow. I just, uh, I don't have a I handle, always I don't have handle on life right now. I always wonder what my college professors did in the in the summertime. I just imagine like half of them, you know, strip the attire, lose their mask. They join like a Grateful Dead tour or something. What, what What's your uh, summer looking like? We got a lot of golf on the agenda, a perhaps? Little, a little bit of golf. Uh, you know, I made the mistake. I've got three students finishing their thesis this summer. So a lot of, that's that stresses me out more than anything else in the academic world is my students finishing up. Like I want them to do a great job. Like everybody be proud of them. So I just I just stress over it every day. I spend a lot of time on their stuff. Don't sleep well. So I've got another month, and then and then I'll be free to figure out yeah if I'm gonna grow the hair out or what I'm gonna do from there. <laughs> please do, please. I want to see. Nobody that. wants on. to see that. No, I, I don't. I don't have the college that. fro anymore. That doesn't. There's not enough hair up there. That that is my lasting image of the professor is the college fro, uh, the case of of Mountain Dew. Uh, uh, surge, perhaps sitting on the the counter doing math equations on his whiteboard. I, I, uh, that's that's how I will always think of you. I got a, a fact of the day that relates to that. I was with the uh, I was with Chris Wilson, um, a good friend of ours, right, former professional golfer, now back on the amateur skiing. He's that skeevy, you know. He's won a Corn Ferry event. Now he's got his amateur status back. So yeah, there you go. Um, we, we can have a debate on that if that's appropriate or not. <laughs> that, that deserves its own episode, but, talking about those guys coming in and stealing all of our tournaments. Seriously, him and John Peterson. Um, no, but yeah, so he actually asked a good question. He's like, what the hell does your math research have to do with anything, right? Like that, that's what he, he was asking about, um, which I think it's, I get that question it, a lot, but it, it's a good appropriate question. No, but it reminded me of one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, I was part of an awesome research group at the University of Akron. So these equations you're talking about, do you know how geckos walk up walls like glass? Any idea? If you had to guess, like throw out some guesses. Uh, I'm going to say suction cups. Like, do they have some type of webbing or like suction cup thing? Yeah, natural gas suction cups would be a good natural gas or some sort of adhesive material, right? There's some sticky substance to the, yeah, to the thing. Yeah, excrete like Spider-Man, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so what's crazy is it's actually none of the above. Um, they have no substance that actually helps them walk up glass. Uh, it was conjectured for a while. Maybe they had a little bit of water, like a little moisture, and that can create some surface tension. But what it's called is, um, they're called, van, if I remember right, Vanderwall forces. Uh, basically, imagine there's a ton of fibers on their toes, just tons of fibers. Think of like hair, like really, really small fibers. And there's just enough of those that it creates enough of a, a force between the, the surface and their feet that it basically creates, not adhesive, but... Not and not suction, just stickiness, right? Like, just there's enough tension that it will stick to it. Um, Interesting. So yeah, so there's no substance, there's nothing there, and so a lot of our work at the University of Akron, this cool team I was a part of, was looking at can we grow fibers like that and coat them in a polymer to create such a yes. thing? Yeah. So we're it's called. So we're all just climbing up buildings, yeah, right? Like Make a true Spider-Man, a right? species of Spider-Man. I love that. Yeah. So that was the work we were doing, just trying to model like polymer growth on nanotubes tubes and see if we can model it and then build them in the way that we wanted. So you had that as an application, really cool, like 
basically it looks like a spider web bandage. You could spin like a bandage over someone's wound that looks like just a small fiber. Um, that was one of the things, the best TV resolutions you could ever imagine, picking up chemicals in the air, creating these little nanofibers that could pick up chemicals in the air, all sorts of cool stuff. So I, the math the math we do isn't just for our own um, self-gratification. There are applications yeah. to it. It's to it's to create a mutant race. That's, that's what that's, that's what your equations on your board. Anyone that watches us on the the gram or Facebook or uh, YouTube can. That's what it's about is creating mutants. All about that. I did get a, a pretty one of our listeners I saw uh, two days ago, and uh, and they they gave you kind of a compliment on the factoids. I think which was. You know what I like about the show since you brought Kevin on is that I'm forced to learn at least one thing per week. I'm forced to. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> that's one way to look at it. So keep them coming. Man. I'll take keep it. Us, keep us all educated. Well, I think today we're going to be learning actually a lot of things because we got, I've been really excited to talk to this gentleman. Frank Casey Jr. is coming on the show. Uh, his brother, John, might join us as well. Uh, if you're from Ireland, we got some listeners in Ireland. You probably know these guys. Uh, they've been ro- running Rasa Penna up in uh, Donegal for for quite a while, but um, I was just there. I'm kind of fresh back and, and all these uh, uh, memories are, are pretty fresh. So I have a lot of questions for them on, on how they've built this place and everything that they've done with the golf courses. And it's uh, it's really a special place in the game of golf that uh, more and more people are learning about. So I'm really pumped to, uh, to chat with him today. Oh, I'm excited. Um, I will say, do you remember what Bruce Devlin said to you at Secession? The one time we were down there, you had just gotten back from a trip. What do you, what do you tell you? Oh, man. You had just good. gotten back from Scot- maybe Scotland or yeah, Ireland. He, do you remember what he told he's you? He's told me some of the most profound things. I, I, this, I have met, some of them written down. I could pull them out, but no. I'm, which one are you talking about? This one was profound. This was, shut up, Matt. We all know you went, You were over in Scotland, <laughs> right? I, I, feel like, I feel like that's how you've been with Ireland since you got back, and, and which makes me even more I've been, excited I've been about that this way. Like, I've been that way with Ireland since 2005. Let's be clear. Yeah, true story. And you're right. If you're sick of me talking about Ireland, too bad. Hang up, you know, put your ear pods down in your center console. We're talking about Ireland today, and I freaking love that. Yeah, and I mean, I was looking at the pictures of Rossabend and just makes me kick myself for not going on this year's trip. I mean, it's just those three courses, absolutely stunning. So to hear about the background of the place and its operations and what they're trying to accomplish, and I'm really excited about today's interview. You're, 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 uh, you'll have the opportunity to go back. I can guarantee you that because that will not be our last visit uh, to that part of their country. Uh, before we get to our special guest, Frank, uh, we have to say a big thanks for the support from our newest sponsor of the podcast. For the month of June, we're working with, you mentioned the Corn Ferry Tour and your buddy, your buddy's out there grinding away. Well, Corn Ferry Tour is coming back to Chicago, Kevin. Comes every year where golf's future stars head to the Glen Club. So the MV5 Invitational has a new summer date. Actually, it used to be Memorial Day weekend. Now it's during uh, uh, July 25th through the 30th. Corn ter- car- the Corn Ferry Tour season is heating up and you can watch the game's f- future stars compete for a coveted spot on the PGA Tour. All four rounds will be also streamed and get this, this is actually really cool. It's going to be streamed on Barstool. TV. Wow. This is their first golf event. Barstool's getting involved with the Western Golf Association, which <clears throat> I was a little surprised to be honest, but <clears throat> when I talked to the WGA and everything they're doing, uh, this is going to be pretty innovative. It's going to be pretty cool. Rappaport too, uh, did a little announcement on it and how they're going to cool. do the coverage a little different, but uh, with appearances from some well-known Barstool sports personalities, uh, you can check it all out at 
nv5invitational.com to secure your tickets or all-inclusive experiences like the hangar. That's where I like to hang out. They got the Coronas on ice. Uh, the hangar is a great spot on the 18th green. And you can find out who's next. Scotty Scheffler won this thing. Uh, Will Zaltors won this thing. Uh, Cameron Young won this thing. So it's like, seriously, the next ba- biggest players head of the PJ Tour. It's, it's such a well-run event. Western Golf Association does a fantastic job. And the Glen Club is, is a great spot. So check them out in July, July 25th through 30th. Man, there are a few things better than sitting back with a cold beer watching good golf. So I imagine exactly. most of Chicago should be there watching that. I, I and being so. in the know. I, I think a lot of our listeners, like, you know, if you know, you know. I, I feel like if you go to one of those events, you'll be watching TV two years later and be like, yep, I saw that guy hit a, hit a shot and it sounded different. <laughs> it was something. So, yeah, go check out MV5. Thank you to the Western Golf Association, MV5 Invitational for uh, sponsoring the pod. The pod. All right, without further ado, on to the show. Let's get to it. Frank Casey Jr., welcome to the bag drop. Matt, Kevin, how are you? We're fantastic. Thanks for joining us this morning, Good. my friend. No problem. I, I have. Uh, I'm going to start us uh, with with my uh, uh, chucklehead question. Um, I spent a lot of time in Ireland. Kevin likes to give me a hard time for that. How much of your country's GDP revolves around these four brands: Lucasade, <laughs> Tatos, Cadbury, and Guinness? Because I, I think I had a, a, the group that we traveled with through your country, like that was our sustenance, those four things. Your restaurants close early. And if it were not for Tato's and Cadbury and Lucasade, we would have we perished. We wouldn't have survived. Yeah, no, that's very true. It's, uh, it's hard to get uh, food in, in Ireland kind of past, uh, past half eight, nine o'clock in most places. So yeah, you can, uh, you can come in late off the golf course and sometimes it's just a, a Guinness and a, a bag of crisps is all you can get. So of those, is there one that you have near and dear to you of those four, uh, those four brands? Cause those are really the ones that I see everyone buying too. I, I, I like to watch consumer habits. I was like, okay, there's something about this Tato's. I think there's like an addictive thing in there. Yeah. Well, everybody in Ireland grew up, you know, every, you know, Tato was the, is the most popular crisp by quite a bit. So everybody kind of grew up, um, uh, on Tato's, maybe not as much on Guinness, but definitely on Lucasade and Tato's. So yeah, they're, uh. Very popular. And I'm going to bring him in because I know he's fresh off the golf course or probably working. I don't know if he was playing, but uh, your brother, John, is joining us, which is awesome. John, he's just is here. that you? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I was just uh, transporting some people over to St. Patrick's there. Moving never, the, the grind never stops. I know how hard you guys work. I saw it firsthand. Thanks for uh, being with us this morning. What is your favorite brand of these four? Lucasade, Tato's, Cadbury, and Guinness. Uh, Cadbury. <laughs> Uh, big chocolate, yeah. Good answer. That's that's our household's answer right there. We hit the, Kevin's a sweet. Oh, we hit junk. the duty free store. The, we buy so much Cadbury from the duty free store. Every time we travel international, we come back with just bars and bars and bars. Yeah, they do the sugar differently, don't they? It's it's not our processed stuff. That, it tastes that milk chocolate different. they have is just oh. Yeah, if you if you ever want to get a Kevin's golf game, gentlemen, you just you pull all the sweets out of his bag by the back nine, he he'll he'll fall apart. He'll be in yeah, tears. It's accurate. So uh, uh, speaking of growing up, you guys, um, I, I I I'm so interested in just uh, everything you've done at Rossa Penna. We'll get to that uh, and your family's involvement. You guys, it, it really direct involvement. I think one thing I knew you guys were were. Uh, 
you know, the family owners of, of the place, but I didn't realize how active the two of you were in the daily operations. And it, and it was really cool to see how much you care. Um, and so, so we'll talk a lot about that today, but I just want to get a little sense of who you guys are. Uh, you know, where'd you grow up? What part of the country? Um, how, how was golf? Was golf always a part of the family business? Kind of get us started where, where you're from. Uh, yeah, so we both both grew up uh, here at Brasapena. Both went to national school and then secondary school. Frank went to Scotland for some time in college. Then I, I did some college in, in Derry and Belfast. So um, we've kind of both worked here full-time since we were in our early 20s. Um, Frank's four years older than me. He's currently 40. I'm 36. So uh, I suppose we, we've it's all we've ever really known. And we've seen golf. Golf's obviously exploded and Donegal has has really started to grow in the last five years, ten years in terms of a tourism from a tourism standpoint. So things just got busier. Um the areas got busier, the counties got busier and golf's got busier. So it's a kind of combination of the the area and the sport getting so busy in the last few years. And obviously um our own courses gaining notoriety, St. Patrick's coming on stream, uh it's just left the whole area a lot a lot busier and a lot better. A lot just it's just a really cool place to work and see people like I mean we see people that come here that could go anywhere to play golf or go anywhere on holidays and they want to come here to Rossapena to spend two or three nights which is it's just a really cool thing for us it's just a really cool thing to be part of so that's why we're here that's what I I it's the golf's world class like it starts there if you're a golfer you know that's always going to draw you but one thing that um, I was there when I was 20. It was my first visit. My first co- uh, collegiate golf match actually was on Old Tom uh, in really? 2005 for the UCC Rebels. I, I've told that story on the pod before, so I won't, I won't dive into it here. But um, I was curious, for, like growing up in that area and, and Ireland in general, I mean, golf, there's so much great golf and, and it seems like it's such a sporting country. Everyone plays golf. But for, for you guys, what was that region like uh, for golf, I think you guys had it in your family. You were big. Were all your friends playing golf too, or or were all your friends Gaelic footballers and 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 hurlers and uh, soccer players? It was like, well, how did um, how did golf? Uh, what was golf's popularity? Because I think we're all of the same generation here, so I'm very curious about that. So yeah, Gaelic would be the main sport um, in in uh, in Donegal. Uh, hurling wouldn't be that big in this part of the country at all. It's more down the south and Midlands. So yeah, growing up, you know, Gaelic was the f- first and foremost, um, probably followed by soccer. Um, so golf was a good bit further down the list for people, but we were quite lucky where we lived because we had at that time only old Tom Morris. So um, obviously John and I played a lot of golf, but you know, any locals in the area that wanted to play had access to old Tom Morris, which was great. Um, and then growing up playing golf at, uh, at school level, um, we traveled quite a bit within the county. So we're very lucky, you know, Donegal is blessed from Ballyliff and Port Salon to Rossapena, Dunfanaghy, Naran and Portnoo, Critch Island, Merva. So we would have played all those courses growing up, um, not just at schools golf, but also in sort of interclub golf, um, playing matches for the club. Um, so John and I would have done that through our teens and early 20s as well. So we'd have played a lot of golf in and around Donegal growing up. Um, both played a little bit of Gaelic at at, uh, at national school level, but once we kind of went to secondary school, high school, it was uh, sort of concentrated a little bit more on golf. So I imagine the for us, you know, it was like the tiger boom, you know, and, and all my buddies that were playing other sports in Ohio, uh, they, they thought golf was this lame thing until Tiger came along. Was that similar for you guys over there? Was golf? Was it just different? I feel like it was more of a team sport from uh, an earlier age in in Ireland. 
Uh, yeah, probably was. It, it's just, I suppose for us, kind of started playing, you know, Gaelic football, etc. And then you kind of graduated into golf as you got older. And there was a team element of it, especially in the winter months. So our winter months are kind of fringe months as to whether or not you can play golf. So when you're playing kind of team golf, it kind of keeps everybody, you know, match play, etc. is much more fun than stroke play in the middle of January or February or December. So from that point of view, it was the team element that, that really keeps everybody playing through the winter. You have winter leagues and you have inter-club stuff, um, which was really cool. So I suppose from that, you know, that point of view, that's that's what just keeps, that's what keeps everybody playing in Ireland through the winter is just the kind of match play because the weather's irrelevant when you're, you know, six, seven, eight, whatever one's the whole, one's the whole. I got, I got to ask between the two of you with match play. I'm sure four years apart, there was plenty of head-to-head matches. What's the overall record? Who's who's leading? Who's got more more wins under the belt? We we tend to play. We don't we don't play that many that much one-on-one. We tend to play a lot of four-ball golf, but we'll always be on opposite sides. We never very rarely play together, so uh, it's probably a fairly even contest, I'd say, over over the years. Do y'all get do y'all get to play often still? I know one of the curses, at least in the US golf culture, is those that work within golf typically don't play golf um for various yeah. reasons. But do y'all get to play a lot? And like are you out on the course a good bit? That that's very true. It's uh you just have to make an effort. You know, we play a lot whenever we're obviously hosting people, which is which is great and it keeps you um keeps you playing and keeps you practicing a little bit. But um it's just really from how busy it's gotten, how long the days are, you know, how you know, the just as, like anybody in golf in the golf industry, um, from admin to pro shop to, you know, uh, just the whole thing. It's just the long hours. So it's just more more of a time thing than just kind of not wanting to be on the golf course. It's just not having the time because it's the season's jammed into we're open for a seven month season, April to the end of October. But it's really a five months. It's it's really, um, you know, hands very on. hands on and very busy from sort of April or start end of April, start of May to the end of September. April and October are very much two shoulder months. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's jump to the uh, the courses you guys got there because you got three world class golf courses. I want to start with Old Tom, and uh, maybe going back to a little bit of the history of Old Tom. I mean, you guys, I'm 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 guessing are pretty well versed on the history. I've read a good bit about it, but can you tell us about Old Tom's uh, original visit? Why he came over? Uh, uh, why he laid out the course, you know, the way he did. What, what, what can you tell us about the kind of the start, I guess, of golf at Rossapena? So Old Tom was originally invited by the the local landlord, who's named Lord Leitrim, back in 1891, to design a nine-hole course on his private estate in Carry Yard, about two three miles from the hotel. So um, what happened was he then went in a drive with with. Uh, Lord Leitrim shortly after he he'd arrived or when he was ready to leave etc and he seen the the dunes land and the sandy land and said this is really where you want to build the golf course so that kind of became the catalyst to to form a sort of a resort a hotel golf course for the traveling golfer it was just becoming a thing at the time and uh, they built the original hotel which was all built in, uh, from with pitch pine that was imported from Norway on steamships into Las Willey and the original golf course and the entire hotel golf course, so to speak, opened in the first week of May, 1893. And people actually started to travel here to play golf. So, you know, Rasapena is basically the first golf resort in the world, the first destination golf course hotel that people traveled and spent some time at. So, as I said, the original Old Tom course was laid out and opened then. 
Varden and James Braid came in early the mid 1906 to to play a challenge match, and they added some length and they added some bunkering, but they left the original greens as they were. And then in 1911, Harry Colt actually was brought in, and they, I think, money and and advances in you know technology at the time allowed them then to go into what is now the back nine and the valley holes. And they set up a temporary railroad to move some of the dirt. Um, There's some very interesting snippets in the Irish Times at the time about the big piece of work that they did here. And they built the back nine of Old Tom. So it's great history that we have on the, the Tom Morris links that we had, we had Old Tom originally, Harry Varden and James Braid, and then obviously Harry Colt, who, who's one of the most famous architects in the world and designed some fantastic golf courses. All were here within about a 20, 25 year period of the first, first years, formative years of the Old Tom Morris links. Can you tell us about the, uh, and I know those that haven't been there might not know, but um, this was an obsession of one of the gentlemen in our group, Big Kent Monis, who, uh, Professor, you know well, he's he's a competitive golfer who is an architecture junkie. He was obsessed with Old Times original routing. Can you talk talk us through that in terms of the, the original nine? It sounds like you built the nine holes, but up on the hillside where you guys still have, what is it, nine or 12 holes, T- tell us about how, was that included in the, uh, w- w- what's the story on the original routing? So there's kind of various iterations. The The Tom Morris holes really played quite close to the original uh, hotel site, the current hotel site, and into the village in Downings. And then what, what we play now is the Coast Guard 9. There's no clear kind of description as to who really went beyond there. A lot of... You know, Tom Morris really founded a lot of the golf here, but a lot of the Harry Colt, a lot of the back nine of the old course, a lot of the holes that you currently play. I think Tom Morris went down a couple of holes and then came back. And then whatever this temporary railroad that they set up was to move some sort of a dune uh, halfway down what we call the valley, the back nine of old Tom Morris. And a lot of those holes then were designed by Harry Colt. And you can see the likes of 14's a real synonymous Harry Colt hole where you carry to the plateau green where they couldn't, manipulate the ground because of the time they, they had the big long carry so it's very kind of synonymous with the way Harry Cole designed you know the Lexus the current 16th and Port Rush etc so it's uh it's, it's difficult to know exactly you know to, you know if somebody drills down and asks what are the Tom Morris holes Tom Morris was really the founder of golf across the pen and so many architects and people have been here since but if you really had to say whose holes are these I think the Valley Nine you would say were, were more Harry Cole than anybody which isn't a bad thing. <clears throat> Not a bad, yeah. It, it, and and uh, from my novice uh, standpoint, it plays that way. You can see the the strategy of Colt very similar to uh, uh, Ross's point where we played uh, yeah. prior to you guys. And um, yeah, the, the 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 hunt for those original greens up the across the road. Uh, it was getting to like 10 p.m. and we had Kent walking out from dinner. He's like, "I just got to use the daylight. I got to go find a green. I think the green's got to be over there." And so. Uh, you guys should do, you should do like kind of a ghost tour, you know, take wherever that, that second nine was and, and walk people around at night. Um, well, the, the next course we should probably talk about at Ross Pena is St. Patrick's. Obviously, uh, getting all the attention, uh, I think debuted at 55 in the world on, on Golf Digest or Golf Mag. I mean, just uh, uh, a newcomer, the, the last links of Ireland, as people are calling it, where there probably won't be another links ever built. Um, I wanted to, to start with, uh, I guess we're going from Tom Morris to Tom Doak. Let's, let's start with 
Tom Doak. And, and I've been fortunate to meet Tom Doak. And I feel like any run-in with him is memorable. So I wanted to ask you guys, what, what was your first introduction to Tom Doak? And what do you remember most about that interaction? So we first met Tom back in uh, late 2006. He, uh, he came to Ireland with the photographer Larry Lambrick um, and came to Rossapena. He had been here before for the Confidential Guide in the 80s and walked the original Old Tom Morris course. Um, so it was very, it was a very brief introduction. It was, you know, nothing too memorable. Just our, our first time we met him through through Larry. And they were actually working on St. Patrick's at the time. The development um, post-sale from the Walsh family who'd owned it since, since the 70s. They'd sold it to Relton Developments and Nicholas. They were actually working on the golf course at the time. So it was quite... Quite uh, a coincidence that Tom happened to be here at the same time because they only did about six or eight weeks wor- worth of work at the end of 06 and then the project fell uh, fell by the wayside slightly um, before the banks took over the lands uh, and then we bought it off the banks in 2012. And and uh, and how, how did Tom, Tom get involved? Because I know it was more of a partnership than a, a commission. That's right. Well, we'd been, we'd been talking to Tom about various other things pre pre St. Patrick's, and then we, uh, when we were able to secure St. Patrick's, that sort of turned our focus to um, to to doing you know redoing St. Patrick's as a brand new golf course from start to finish. Luckily, the, there were two golf courses already on the property, so it's a three hundred and twenty acre site, and there was golf on on you know just all of three hundred of it. Um, so we were able to come in and basically without any planning permission, we were able to come in and, uh, and work within the confines of, of that 300 acres. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we had known Tom for a while and we sat down and worked things out and came to, came to a good agreement and, um, started in 2018 and we mowed everything out. Um, and then once because his guys were the guys who were going to work on it still had a couple other things to tidy up in 18 and then in 2019 we started in earnest and shaped all the greens in july august september 19 and seeded them all at the end of september and then through that winter of 1920 we started to build the a lot of bunkering and tea boxes uh, and then obviously everything the music stopped in in march 20 um, we probably had a couple of months off where we, we weren't able to do anything. All the guys went home uh, the, who were here in the construction team. Um, Eric Iverson, Clyde Johnson and Angela Moser. Um, and Blake Content was actually here as well at that mm-hmm. time. So they all went home. Uh, they actually got back then that summer. Clyde and Angela, who were based in Europe, got back a little bit quicker. Um, Eric didn't get back until August. And then we got it finished, got the, the building of it finished through uh, September, October 20 and then opened it in June 21. Shout out to Blake. Thank he's you, a, you did. He's a mutual friend of, uh, of ours. Um, always enjoyed talking to Blake. Something I'm always interested in during that process, what role did you two play in on the course building? Were you involved much? Or were you just kind of supervising it, overseeing? You kind of get an update? Um, did you ever, or did you, did you feel the, the need and want to like dive in and be like, well, what if we did this? And what if we did that? You know, where were you all no. on that? We were very involved, but not not in that way. We were just there from um, you know support um, aspect, and you know, um, with machinery, with men, with with you know all the other bits and pieces that you have to put together. You know, um, 
So, but in terms of like what they were, like we were over there three, four, five times a day, but like with what they were building and where they were building it, we were just like, yeah, we were, we were there and we were asking them what they were doing, but we never sort of, you know, we weren't, um, we had no sort of level of input to that. It's those there's guys no, are, you know, there's no point us having Tom Doakin telling them where to put the greens and how to build the, yeah. how to build the contour. They're, uh, they're, you know, experts, yeah. Expert, yeah, all three experts in their fields. Um, you know, so we just uh, let them let them do what they do best. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. I think you know, with the the boom of golf course architecture, you know, thanks to people like Andy Johnson um, and some others in the in the world in terms of getting to the masses. I think it's a lot of people have that idea that oh, I, I know enough now. I could tell Tom Doak what to do. I could give him a little bit of feedback and say, why don't we do this, Tom? So I appreciate. No. The, I'm definitely of the mindset you trust the experts, right? Like I always think of how Cal Club handled Kyle Phillips, like the president just protected him, said, you're the expert, just, I, we trust you, go do what you do. So I appreciate that answer. Yeah, yeah I, my, my question for those folks always is, uh, oh, what, what day of uh, landscape architecture school did you, did you pick that up in? Or, or you know, what, what agronom, agronomy class did you understand the turf grass needs? Uh, no, that, that is, that is in, in, you know, it, it plays guys like, a, a top 20 golf course. I haven't played everything in the world, but my God, is it, is it special? Was that, did you guys talk about rankings like on the onslaught or, or is that just kind of a byproduct of it? Did you say, Hey, we're going to build a top 50 golf course in the world? Or was it just, we're going to build the best course we can and yeah. who cares about that stuff? Best we could build. Best we could build and see where, see where it falls. It's just what, whatever the land dictated and what, you know, what Tom thought was, you know, big thing for us was like not giving Tom a start point or a finish point. You know, they had we had this three hundred acre parcel of land. You know, if, I mean, he he would often have, you know, in conversations we had with him, like if he's constrained by a clubhouse has to go here, a road has to go there, but he was able to just take the piece of land, we could access it, you know, reasonably from whatever point, and then he could lay it out wherever he thought it the best start and finish. I mean, he, he he spoke about it publicly that he flipped the nines quite late on because he wanted people to fall in, you know, you fall in love with a golf course in the last three or four, the first three or four holes. And he wanted the big reveal at four and he felt it was better to get around the top 15, 16, 17. So from that point of view, like we were happy just to let Tom do what he thought would do, you know, and build the best golf course he could build. And with Tom, you know, and his writing, and has you know has skill what what when he builds golf courses the team that he employs and the site you know in the back of our minds we were confident that we were you know something special was going to happen and, and it, it did oh that's awesome y'all have played golf all around the world um so let's move off ireland for a second what experiences outside of ireland have stuck with you and that you think about the most often and have you tried to bring any of that to rasa Pena in terms of what you've learned at other places yeah, definitely playing golf in the States. I mean, um, Frank and I started going to the States quite a lot in the late 2000s, 9, 10, 11, 12. You know, we've been there generally go maybe now two, three times a year. We've been there up to five, six times a year. And just seeing the private club experience, seeing the resort experience, seeing the standard, seeing what, what really is expected, even as a minimum standard by American, you know, um, visitors, you know, what they expect when they go to their home club. So when they get over here, you know, there, there is a certain expectation and just trying to meet that as best as best we can. Um, and because we're a resort, we've we've a small local membership, but um, we generally exist for the, the visiting golfer here at Rossipena. Then we just try and 
try and preempt what people are looking for, try and just, you know, do what they they want, you know, different different things like the bag drop, you know, just the standard of service, shuttling people here, shuttling people there. Um, just trying to make it as easy as possible. Um, everybody here comes and they visit for a day, so they don't really know where things are. So it's just trying to trying to be that, you know, in front of them and helping them and just, just the more we can help their experience. And you really learn that in the States. I mean, that's what they do so well, even at resorts. You know, we've, we've visited Streamsong, we've been to Bandon, um, quite, played quite a bit in Florida. I was in Hilton Head, I was in Hilton Head last, last year. Speaking of, it never, you know, the resort biz never stops. You, know, yeah. you gotta take the walkie-talkie every once in a while. So we, we were, I was at Hilton Head last year. I was at Sea Pines Resort. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. just another level, the way that everybody, that everything's done in the States. Bandon as well, the shuttling around the property, around the resort, just the whole thing. Just the organization, the way the same caddy sticks with you for the week. Just little things like that there that just elevates the experience of the customer. It's just trying to, you know, obviously certain things won't work in Ireland, but, you know, it's just trying to apply what we see and what will work and what we can do to make the experience better here. Um, yeah, I, I talk a lot about on this show, John, that, uh, and it's so, thank you for sharing that because it's so interesting to me. Uh, you guys, you know, resort is how you, how Ross Penna started, right? It's in your DNA. So you have to have that uh, hospitality background and, and you guys do do that very well. But it's also, you know, for, for me and where I've seen golf go for, for us here in the U.S. is it's kind of uh, jumped the shark in hospitality. It's gone a little too far and maybe maybe it's gone to like a, a more pampered and protected and uh, I'll use the word contrived experience. I never feel that way in Ireland. I always feel like people are, are polite, but not overly, you know, it's kind of like, I'll help you with what you need, but I'll also tell you where you can go so you can serve yourself in a way. Yeah. And, and, uh, is that, is that at like the forefront of your guys discussions? Cause I know you have a huge Irish, uh, Irish audience as well. And a lot of people coming from Dublin and Cork and Galway to, to spend their holidays with you. Do you talk about that balance of like, what is good hospitality and what is a little bit over the top? Uh, I don't think anybody in Ireland, I don't think the labor, the cost of labor and the amount of staff you have somewhere really is going to allow you to be over the top. It's just people, it's just people trying to be helpful. It's just, you know, you're, you're trying to see what you'd like if you were to experience it yourself, just when somebody comes when they arrive, like it's, it's a little bit of a thing, what we try and do in the hotel, you know, everybody who comes to Rasapana has traveled. We're not, in the, you know, we're not in the main road. We're not you know, right there passing, you know, from Dublin to Belfast. Everybody's coming to us is in the bus for at least a couple of hours by the time they get here. A lot of people start their trip here and work their way east or work their way south. Um, maybe down to Enniscrown or Cairn or go east and go back to maybe Port Stewart, Port Rush, County Down. So people can sometimes fly into the airport and go straight to Rasapena. You know, they've they've flown through the night, they've gotten a bus for three and a half hours. Somebody's bag's been delayed. They're tired. So it's trying to welcome people, get them here, get them into the hotel, get them into their rooms. If their rooms are ready early, if we know they're coming, ensure that the rooms will be ready early. You know, trying to allocate them the rooms that may may not have been occupied the night before, maybe occupied by a group that have left early or playing golf early. We we can track people's movements pretty well because everybody's on the tee sheet. So we know where people are going and what they're doing. If they're not playing golf with us, then they're going somewhere that morning to play somewhere else. So it's just trying to welcome people um, at the start, you know, because they've traveled so far and just trying to make things seamless and easy and just get them, you know, settled and happy and relaxed, get them their uh, adapter for their iPhones, get them whatever they need, get them on our Wi-Fi network. 
etc and then get them to the golf course you know people want to play that first day they want to play when they arrive you know if you go to bed you don't you don't beat the jet lag so it's just trying to just trying to preempt that there and just you know as we said trying to just yeah you know treat people as we'd like to be treated traveling ourselves you're uh you, you did mention your guys membership and and uh more and more clubs here in the u.s that are welcoming visitors are struggling with how the interaction of a, a robust membership works with uh, open guest play. And I was just curious from, from your guys' standpoint, you know, with thousands and thousands of visitors each year, but also man- managing your membership, how do you balance that? What is, what is required from, the, uh, from your standpoint? So members just they uh, just play old Tamaris. So uh, Sandy Hills and St Patrick's are all uh, you know pay and play visitors. So it's, it is a very small membership. It's only just over three hundred people. So I love uh, that they think that's small. That's the <laughs> favorite. We, we think that's huge here. <laughs> well, compared to compared to some of the other Irish courses of six, seven, eight, nine hundred members at, at single eighteen hole facilities. Um, so yeah, you know we have. Members know what time, you know, the, most members play early morning or, you know, mid-afternoon to late afternoon. So Old Tamaris is there every day from sort of 9 to 1, 30, 2 o'clock for green fee play. Um, you know, if there's a weekend of this very heavy green play play on Sandy Hills and St. Patrick's, there's less times um, taken on Old Tom's. There's more times for members. So, um, and again, the days of the week, you know, it's it's typically Monday through Thursday is an awful lot quieter. So you see a lot of members playing earlier in the week rather than at weekends. Um, and it's different types of members. It's, you know, different type of member that plays at a weekend as opposed to, to midweek. So, um, yeah, the, you know, we have a very good tee sheet. Uh, we load up all the times well in advance and, and people can look and see what's available and, you know, they, they can always get a game on a Saturday or a Sunday, no problem. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's worked quite well. That's great. And just the understanding, I think, like the expectation seems to be very clear for what that is, you know, and, and uh, even separating the courses. Um, I forgot to ask you guys about Sandy Hills because <clears throat> I think that's the player's course. You know, I, I uh, Professor, we had zero breeze on this day. And I was like, all right, finally, I can hear myself think I'm going to tear this thing up. I couldn't get my yardage is right. It's, it's Lynx golf for sure. And there, there are some run-ups, but you have to be pretty precise on your run-ups. And, and I think a lot of it is, is, you know, to a firm green, trying to get the right, the right distance. And I was struggling that day. So that was my, my highest round of Ireland with Sandy Hills, but I know, and, and, uh, Maybe this is the way to ask a question. I know you guys brought uh, Bo Welling in in like what 2012, 2013. Was that truly to soften? A lot of a lot of people were chirping that it was to soften the golf course. Is that true? Was it harder than what it is today? Uh, it was an awful lot harder. Yeah. What we did firstly was we we reshaped a couple of greens. We reshaped the uh, 12th, 13th, 14th, and 18th green complexes. Um, and we also did soften it in the in the in a way where we filled in a greenside bunker on one, four, six, and nine, and then everything else has really just been um, has been just uh, rough management that was all done in house um, since that um, and even around then. But when it did open, it was quite a difficult golf course. Um, it was just very raw. Um, it was, you know, a we lot probably of probably opened it a touch too touch, early, yeah, mm. and it just didn't kind of, you know. And then when it's open, it's hard to do those necessary adjustments, scaling back rough and softening things, and 
you know, so we probably opened it a touch too early back in 03, but uh, we definitely have it where we want it now. Yeah. I, what I uh, love, and I, and I think more and more, the more I travel, the more I think about this, is if you're, you know, hunker down in a place for a few nights, uh, you want great golf, but you also want variety. And I of feel course. like yeah. you have three phenomenal Lynx golf courses. It's all very uh, Lynxy, but the dunes and the and the land that each of your three courses works on feel like they could be hundreds and hundreds of miles away because e- even though they're all part of the same dune system, they're uh, they play very differently, and I, I I really enjoyed that about your guys' plays. Yeah, no, that's true. They're um, three very different golf courses, which is fantastic because when people come for a weekend, whether it's two or three nights and one round on each, which is is really the status quo now, um, people have three very different experiences and and three very memorable rounds. They can very easily sit upstairs and and um, you know talk about one round over the other. They can very quickly recall the the you know the sixth hole in one course as opposed to the sixth hole in another course. You know their favorite par five on from all three courses, their favorite par three across the three courses. People are people are are very quick to recall um, each into course each course individually, which is a which is a real testament to the ground and to the golf courses that we have. So it's very clear you have a huge affinity for Rossapena, right? You have obviously the family history there, so that leads to a natural attachment to it. But I'm going to put you on the trade block. You got to trade Rossapena for one other place, right? So you're going to trade it off and you're going to take ownership of somewhere else. Has to be a place you've been to before, so you can't pick somewhere you haven't been. What's the place you're trading it for? I don't know. They're conferring. Look at them. They're they're having a conference. And you can choose two different places amongst the the brothers here. Mm. Tarady in New Zealand. It's pretty special. Yeah, that's a abandoned. Yeah, abandoned. They have five courses. We only have three. They have a few more golf courses. I'll go with the number. Might be a fair trade. Just yeah, yeah. Just go for more land. Go for more courses. That's. yeah, the, the Terra Edi, I, I've not been, but um, I mean, with Doke's work there, people are saying uh, St. Patrick, one of our members had played there that was playing there. And he goes, yeah, the, the views here are, are every bit as good. You know, the course will, will grow in. It, uh, I, I can't, St. Patrick's, I still need more time to, uh, to let digest. I, I think one element, maybe one of the best walks in golf, gentlemen, is going to be your 16th hole there. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can throw in the 14th and 15th as well. But Kevin, to, to set the stage for you, uh, you sit at the resort and, and you sit at the, the golf pavilion for your other rounds and you see this giant dune across Old Tom, across Sandy Hills. And you're like, what is that? And I, I viewed it. And I was just trying to think. I didn't do, I purposely don't do a ton of research before I go to places. I like to, to just feel it out and, and be in the moment, be present. And so we're looking at it. I'm like, oh, that's got to be a doke up up the hill par five that maybe the green sits like you can't see the green. Maybe it's just over it. I was, I was 180 degrees off. It's <laughs> coming down the hill and it's at the end of your round. And I think there's a beautiful walk and journey and kind of a story that he told with that routing where when you come around the 14th hole, boom, you're staring straight at the bay, straight at the Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean and you hard right up, to, up the hill uh, with a par five at, or par three back to this, the peak point, this point that you, you, you just, you've been looking at for three days and then you cascade down this massive fairway. And for us, it was dead into the teeth. So I, I 
hit, I think I hit driver three wood and, and uh, had to hit a little bump and run. But uh, I think most days it's much shorter than that. We just had a, a pretty fierce win that morning. Uh, it, guys, that, that to me, the whole trip, uh, every course, and we played some incredible, incredible places, that one hole in that walk, being able to kind of look at the whole property, coming down the stretch, the matches on the line. Uh, I, th- I think people, and you probably hear this, I'm talking to broken records, but pe- I think people will talk about that hole uh, uh, as, as like a pinnacle in their trip. Yeah, the view from the view from 16T is obviously stunning. It's a, it's a 487 power four downhill, usually down prevailing breeze, but unfortunately you had a sort of a northeasterly one that day, which which we don't usually get. Um, so it plays extremely long. But uh, yeah, the view, it's, it's amazing because the view out across, you have such an amazing view to your left and come almost behind you towards the ocean. But people kind of get fixated on the dune system that, that forms the backdrop of the golf hole and kind of along to the right hand side of two and three as you play those holes. And it's, uh, you're so fixated on that dune system that people don't even look, turn to look at the water. They're, they're looking more inland, which is uh, an amazing thing given how beautiful the view out to sea is. Um, but yeah, it's one of my favorite spots in the whole place. I, uh, I got one last question for you. Cause I know you guys are, are super busy and, and professor jump in if you got another one as well, but, um, uh, Ireland's a competitive country. I feel, you know, you guys are all sportsmen. You got the counties that battle it out and all the GAA stuff and, uh, the, the, uh, the provinces, this, this tourism business in Ireland for golf has, has boomed since the pandemic and, the Northwest, I, I feel, at least from from the people I talk to, it's still kind of the, uh, the 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 last one. You know, people always talk about Valley Bunny, talk about Lake they talk about Royal County Down. But I feel like with your addition of St. Patrick's here, Northwest is like the most consistent heavy hitters throughout a, a, a 10-day trip. And, and I'm just wondering for you guys, I mean, when you talk to your friends at all the other courses in the Northwest, is there like, is there a rivalry brewing between the Northwest, the South, the Southwest, the, the Northeast? Do you guys kind of jab with those people in those places about the, you know, the rounds being played and the number of visitors that are coming? And uh, not, not really. I, I played golf last August um, on St. Patrick's with a very, very well-known operator. And I won't say who he is, but I kind of put that to him. Like, uh, you know, do, does he think that there's there's going to be a shortage of go- golfers, you know, with so many different destinations? But as he said, like, there's more people playing golf. There's more people with more money than there's ever been in the, you know, in the world. And there's less venues. I mean, St. Patrick's is a is an anomaly of a new length golf course. It just doesn't happen. I mean, there's still only one Bally Bunyan. There's still only one Hinch. One Tralee, Portrush, Portmarnock, County Down. Um, so, but you've more people playing golf. You've more people traveling to play golf. The world's getting smaller. People are traveling more and more from, you know, places they mightn't have traveled from before. Parts of Asia, Australia, they're coming to Ireland. They're coming to Europe. So, you know, really his point was that, you know, it's, there's plenty of visitors coming. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be more visitors and more visitors and more visitors, more airline routes. Um, more planes landing, but there's not going to be more links golf courses. The way things have gone with the cost of building and, and supply chains, etc., and difficulties in planning, there's probably not going to be that many more hotels. So from our point of view, there's more red tape 
there's more difficulties in buses, you know, being able to drive consecutive days, certain hours, etc. So being a destination, being the Bandon Dunes, Sand Valley, Streamsong-esque destination where you have multiple courses at one venue, um, I think we're pretty, pretty happy, you know, and Porush, County Down, we know the guys that run those places very well. They're selling less and less tea times almost each year. Um, the more members, so I, I don't think, I think everybody's very happy with the amount of business they're getting. I think everybody will keep getting business because I just think it's going to get harder and harder to get tea times um, because more and more people are coming to Ireland to play golf. So it's it's a good complaint. So it's good for us. It's not good for people coming. Just book early. Just <laughs> book early and, and get that vacation time in. I yeah. think that's the, ch- we, we need to change over here a little bit to get a little bit more paid time off. I think that's what we need. All right. One last question for you all and then we'll let you get back to your busy Friday. Uh It'll be maybe an easy one, a quick one. When when people leave Rasa Pena, so you know, visitor comes in, plays courses, stays at. What what's the the lasting thought you hope sticks with them as the owners and operators of the place? What do you hope you know? A week afterwards, they're back back at the states, maybe talking to their friends. What do you hope they tell them about Rasa Pena? Um, I suppose we're we're strange in that for a long time, people couldn't travel people didn't travel to Donegal really people from Northern Ireland came here Sweden relied hugely on repeat and we've kind of bucked the trend a little bit and that we have a lot of we have Americans that are here this week that have um I was actually looking to see how many times one of them had been here and this is his ninth visit wow. guys from Florida now he's hit, he's got a collection of guys with him that are on their second third fourth fifth visits but the big thing for us is just that they want to they leave and they just want to come back that's really what we, you know, that's what we try to, that's what we've done for years and years because that was what we had to do because we had a small customer base because of our location and everything was going against us. And that's kind of what we still do, even though people are coming from a much further afield and a lot more people are coming here. We just really want them to come, want to come back. You know, we don't want to be a one and done place. We want to be somewhere that people come to enjoy it, meet Frank or I, meet our parents, meet Andrew, our general manager in the hotel, meet Danny in our pro shop, Martin here in our clubhouse and want to come back and see them again and recognize them and say hello, you know, um, and that's, that goes for people from Australia, from North America, from everywhere, you know, if people leave and they genuinely feel like that's somewhere they want to return to, I think it's the greatest compliment. I mean, they could love it, think it's great, tell their friends it's great, but if they really want to come back, I don't think there's a better compliment you can get than, than somewhere that you, you want to make a, I kind of a home from home and a destination that you want to get back there. I think that's I think that's our our main aim when people leave Rossipena. Mm, I love that. One of my litmus tests for a course is when you walk off the 18th hole, do you want to walk right, right back to the first? And I think of resorts in the same way, right? Do when you leave there, are you already planning your next trip to come back? Is that is that what you want to do, or what did you just check it off? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and professor, and and all, all that is is so true. But they also have Cadbury loaded in the pro <laughs> shop. Yeah. Okay, so when you come and you get a little cranky, I know you get a little cranky. I think the tenth hole comes back a little close to the pro shop. You can get yourself a little num nums. Oh, that's, that's key. That's too. key. The coming back's key because you don't want to let it melt in your bag for a little bit. If you can just <laughs> pick, pick it off Chances as you're going through, that's key. It's funny. Uh, uh, well, gentlemen, you got a very busy day, uh, Frank. John, this was really a delight being with you guys. Um, I I, uh, I started at the top of the show saying it, and I'll say it again. You know, you go you go certain places, and and new club. We go to a ton of different resorts, and, and we've been across the place. But uh, to see the owners and operators like yourself, so uh, invested and passionate and helpful 
for, for, you know, all of us that were there. Um, it, it really dawned on me that this is, uh, a more than just a, a kind of that, what, what we've become accustomed to of a traditional resort experience. I, you, you make people feel a part of it. And I just want to thank you guys for making us, uh, feel so welcome, uh, on our visit and, uh, we'll be back. We'll no be problem. back. Thank, thank you. you. Thank it you. It's great to have you here. And thanks for thanks for doing the podcast. It was great. Great to Yeah, good times. Thanks guys. We'll uh we'll we'll catch up soon. Hit us off when you come over here. We'll uh play our little aerial version of the game. We'll <laughs> yeah. teach you guys. Sounds good. All right, take Bye. care. All right, all right, thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. What lovely lads. That was just pleasant, wasn't it? It's refreshing. I, I mean, every podcast we've done is great, and I love the golf community and interact so well with so many people, and it's just such a great giving community. But it's very clear when you're in conversations that are business and transactional versus like they could have been just trying to sell Rasa Pena and like putting it on the you know the tie and just like Rasa Pena is the best place ever. Make sure to come here, like yeah, and just no, none of that. It was just a conversation about golf, of course, about Rasa Pena, but there was no salesmanship going on, anything like that. They were just there to talk authentically about golf. Yeah, like it, I I uh I totally agree. And I kind of gave them that that premise too on, on when I was chatting with them uh at Ross Ben when we were there. It's just like, hey, I like people will find this place. People if you're into golf, you're gonna know it's special. So we're not doing it to like in an advertisement. What we're doing is I, I as we traveled across Ireland and I met a bunch of people from Ireland, these guys were the most you could tell I look for two things. Do they really truly love golf? Are they seriously passionate about golf? And and how knowledgeable are they? And these two really could go on and on and on and talk about just their their knowledge of, of different courses and the architects. I mean, look, think of the list of architects that these guys yeah, have had to learn about and understand at their property. I mean, not many places have Varden, Braid, <laughs> Old Tom, Harry Colt, Pat Rudy, Eddie Hackett. Those are yeah. the Irish legends. And then you throw in like Bill Welling and Tom Doak now. It's... Uh, and your buddy Blake. Blake. <laughs> so, I think they mentioned Angela in there as well, maybe. Yeah, um, Angela. Yeah. Those are some people I'd love to chat with on the pod too. We should think about uh, not the dead ones. That would be difficult. <laughs> uh, but the the live ones that we should we should try hey, to get some. AI guys. might help us do this, some of the uh, dead ones. We got holographic <laughs> stuff in AI. But yeah, any any takeaways got- from the 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 conversation? Anything you're you're wrestling about, mewling on? Well, yeah, like I, I guess I wrestle with all the time this like. You know, I think Ireland and and uh, people can give me shit for it all I want, but it it it's why we have new club. Is my experiences as a twenty year old in two thousand five in Cork, Ireland, is that I realized golf was was not just what I grew up with. It wasn't just about score. It could be about a team. It 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 wasn't just about stroke play. It could be about match play. It wasn't uh, just about my selfish experience. It could be uh, more communal, and it also could be more. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not bare bones, but you know what I'm saying? The, the true spirit of the game, the things that people truly love about the game aren't, you know, the uh, the mixed cocktails or and maybe some people, but I think if you're truly a golfer, a lot of the things that we've created are, are overdone. They're uh, uh, wasteful. They're um, um, bulky, I think, as you said, bloated, I think was the word you used. And I, and I, that's just my personal premise. So I hear these guys talk about running a resort and, and kind of implementing a lot of the things that 
uh, that we have from a hospitality standpoint in the U.S. And uh, I do get a little conflicted, right? Because for me, I, one of the big reasons I still go over there every single year uh, to either Scotland or Ireland is because I, I want that toned down experience or limited frills. I want that, you know, purity of, hey, take a caddy, take a cart or not a, a buggy, as they would say, take a push cart, walk, or, you know, who, just go do it. And, and it just feels like a more, uh, free version of the game, not free in cost, of course, but free as in freedom of of expression and being out there to be the golfer that you are. Uh, I feel like we're, we're our hands are very tied here. So to hear them kind of implement more U.S. things, it it I'm a little at conflict. Yeah, uh, I think my takeaway it relates to that, but in a in just a like a meta way, right? Like reflecting back on that. One, I think, like I think, one of the things we often do, probably on this podcast, but in any conversation, we just generalize hugely in the sense of like everything should be this way, and that's obviously not what you're implying when you talk about bloated golf. That everything should be stripped down, like Sweden's Cove, my favorite place in the world, right? And no world ever would I say every golf experience needs to be like that. That would be a terrible thing in and of itself. So, so I first want to admit, like up front, like I think when you and I go, you know, anytime we go on a rant or whatever, we're definitely not trying to imply everywhere should be Correct. that way. It's our preference, not our, not the, our experience isn't the experience, yeah, and right? Yeah, never good, good way to phrase it. And so I think like, thinking of Ireland, yeah, if some of these places have to go more towards the American version and that's not necessarily a bad thing, that's not inherently bad. And I would support that, you know, with, with certain contextualized places. But I think also like we always have to sit back, like the one thought to me was when them speaking, I always wonder how much of our preference is also dictated, or, or I, this is true, it is influenced by what our everyday experience is, right? So some we have a natural reaction against our everyday experiences in the States, so we're attracted to this stripped-down version, right? Because it's a little bit different, and it's different in a way that also aligns with our preference, Right, like if it was different, even more over the top, we would push back against it. And so it's interesting to hear them say, like, you know, when they come to the states and they see these things, it's obviously different than their experience. They're like, oh, we should do that. Like that will improve. Mm -hmm. So it's always also like my takeaway is like we always have to question our preferences too. Like when we're attracted to something, why are we attracted to that? Are we attracted to it just because it's different, or is there something intrinsic to it that we we think is maybe the more the more way should we we uh the how to say it the way we hope things would be more often right um so yeah and, that was, i mean that this is this is gets into like the societal elements too right because is it isn't the world with technology just becoming more all the cultures are kind of meeting in the middle yeah, it's like an amalgamation and, of our of all cultural differences have all kind of come and and you know a thousand ten thousand years from now the planet will kind of be much more culturally homogenous, right? Is that the word? Yeah, that, I mean, definitely. That, that I mean, if you look in the United States, think the U.S. golf experience, yes, we overgeneralize with the club experience and what it means. But by and large, that stereotype, well, stereotypes exist for a reason, right? They they are solidified. So in worldwide, I think golf is, this, this the discussions going on in Ireland and Scotland, especially with the boom of golf right now, they're having to wrestle with the things the U.S. have already adopted, especially with the capitalistic model of like wanting, you know, wanting yeah. to look at the bottom line. Okay, revenue, profits. Let's figure out how we can generate more. Um, and that is, I don't know if scary is the right word, disappointing in the sense of like, I like diversity. I like variance. Like that's what yeah, makes That's why we travel, right? That's what yeah, makes I get, I get. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go. I, I get I a little wanna, bit. 
Yeah, I get off the plane and I see a McDonald's. I get a little bit like, oh shit, well, where am I, you know? Well, I remember when we went- Oklahoma? We went to the K Club, you know, back in that 2005 trip and like left there and it's like, I might as well just play Murfield in Columbus, Ohio. Like, <laughs> For sure. It was so disappointing and just a, a great golf course, great, a great, great golf resort. Yeah. But it's like, I flew across the world and played here and I could have just yeah. stayed in the States and got the exact same experience. Totally, totally. And I think I think for the the Irish golfer, that's a that's the novelty, yeah. right? In in a, in a in a big way. And so maybe, you know, the Irish golfer gets to go to Rasapena, gets treated a little bit differently, has that resort feel to it, then that they get that as well. Yeah, it's it's uh nothing's good nor bad. You know, it's that old Zen proverb. It's it's all just different and uh uh it's 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 a special place, regardless of all that stuff. Like, uh, I was, I was just excited to talk to these guys. Yeah. I, I'll be thinking about St. Patrick's for un, until I get back. It's, it's one of those, you know, for me, it's going to crack. Uh, it doesn't knock uh, Myla Hinch off the top. Yeah. Myla Hinch is my favorite course. I, I got an affinity for Mackenzie and all this stuff, but um, man, it's going to be contending, uh, like even RCD, Royal County Down. That's big, big language here. It contends for me. Yeah. Last one, last. I got to make this comment too, man. They're thirty six and forty running that place, and we're just sitting here, <laughs> by basically the same age, just John a couple of ding, a, ding John, dongs John on a podcast <laughs> with no, no paycheck coming in for this or anything. And here's them running uh, top one hundred golf podcast <laughs> for for fun. And these guys are like looking at their their walkie talkie and their cell phones. Right, we got shit to do, boy. They've got dunes uh, out there to build more golf courses if they want. I mean, just, what, what are we doing? <laughs> Hey, it all it all is part of the same ecosystem. So thanks to the Casey Brothers for joining us. Uh, thanks to NB5 Invitational for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, the, the Corn Ferry Tour is headed to Glenview. The NB5 Invitational presented by Old National Bank is happening July 25th through 30th. It's the only Corn Ferry Tour event. It's the only professional tour event that rotates to Chicago every single year. So uh, Chicago listeners, I know we got a bunch of you. Thanks for always tuning in. Uh, go check this out. Go support them because they support us. They support New Club. Uh, every dollar goes to the Evans Scholars Foundation, uh, supporting youth caddies. I'm, I'm a, a big believer in that program and what youth caddy caddying does for, for opportunities and, uh, and all the tickets, upgraded fan experiences, select volunteer opportunities are all available on their website at nb5invitational.com. Hey, Professor. Enjoy your summer, man. Let let the kids, the thesis, they'll they'll be all right. You go work on the short game. You go hit some some bombs. Uh, uh, be be a, be an academic this summer. You know. You just identified two things I don't ever do: work on short game and hit bombs. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to work on a short game. You do need to, to get some speed, brother. I want to see the the speed is speed. gone. Uh, great being with you. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll uh, catch you next time on the Bag Drop. Mm-hmm.